like to wish you all a good morning and invite you to take a Bible, either online or maybe uh, your own print copy, or if you want to just follow along by listening, you're welcome to do so to the book of Romans, chapter 5, where we recently studied in our Sunday morning Bible class with our brother Kerry. We're going to start there in Romans chapter 5 in just a moment or two. like to, again, as Brother Brian has done, welcome those who are visiting with us. We appreciate you so very much. You are an encouragement to us, and we appreciate the fact that you care about spiritual things. And we're thankful that you've chosen to be with us over the course of uh, the hour of worship in which we are gathered together here this morning. Also wanted just to uh, state the obvious, and that is we appreciate our parents. And we appreciate our parents with children who are younger being here. And you could have chosen to say, well, today is a special day in the world, and we don't want to uh, withhold uh, additional celebration at home. And there's certainly time for that later if you choose to do so. But you are an encouragement to those of us uh, who are watching from the sidelines that you uh, care about spiritual things more than you do physical things. That's not just true on a day like today. Uh, It's not lost on me that you may have children who are tugging at you saying, how long is he going to preach because we need to get home today? Uh, But it is certainly an encouragement that you are here on a regular basis as well. Our brother Jonathan said it well when he said, look for the words grace in the songs that we are going to sing together today. And our brother Brian, as as he concluded uh, the prayer in which we engaged in today, spoke about God's amazing grace and the grace that you and I enjoy and that you and I get to benefit from. And it seemed to me that on a day when maybe gifts may be presented and gifts may be received, that the great gift of God's grace needed to be thought of and considered. And we're going to talk about why I think this sermon matters so very much at the very conclusion of our study together today. But I don't think there's anybody that is present here, whether you are a Christian or whether you are not a Christian, would say, I don't believe in the importance of grace, in the graciousness of our God, for indeed we appreciate it so very much. I'd like to look at grace by the numbers, as we sometimes do in studies like this, and then make a series of four or five observations or have four or five perspectives on grace that I want us to consider here at the outset of our study together today. I want to start with this idea of grace by the numbers. I like looking at how many times a word is used in particular context or in particular books of the Bible, because sometimes it gives you uh, a sense of where the Bible is going or where that particular author was focusing his attention or his particular sermon. The word grace is used some 150 times in the Bible, and that's probably not a surprise to us. It's a very biblical word, the idea of grace, and we'll define it here in just a moment uh, for those who may be looking for a good working definition of what we mean by grace. The word grace, you may find it surprising, I found this a little bit surprising, is used only approximately 
two dozen times in the Old Testament, and the remainder of the time it is used in the New Testament. That's not to say that it's a more New Testament concept than it is an Old Testament concept, but certainly as good Bible students, as we begin to look at books like Romans and Galatians and the Hebrews, it makes perfect sense that grace is going to be a word that is more utilized in the New Testament than maybe it is in the Old Testament. And so if you look at the Hebrew word, it's the idea of favor or the idea of kindness. So if you let someone in to a busy traffic intersection and you yield to them and allow them in and hopefully they wave back and say, thank you so much for letting me in because I'm very busy with my life and I'm more busy than you are. You are showing kindness, you are showing favor, you are showing grace in a very elementary way. So you may have shown grace this week and I didn't even know you were showing grace. And you are the recipient of grace when someone lets you in or provides kindness or favor to you. Interestingly enough, the Greek word conveys the idea of a delight or a pleasure, And so there are some uh, of us here, maybe more than others, who like hearing, it was my pleasure today uh, at a certain restaurant uh, locally. And some of you you are shaking your heads who are employees at our local Chick-fil-A's as well. But when you say, it is my pleasure, by the way, when they say it's my pleasure the 37th time, do they really mean it's their pleasure? to give you that sauce, but it's their kindness, it's their delight, it's their favor, they are showing grace for them. It is a pleasure to give you this chicken today. And it is a pleasure that God delights in us and shows us his favor and shows us his kindness. And so our study today is looking at God saying, it is a pleasure of mine. It is my favor It is my kindness, it is my graciousness to show you my favor in this life and in the life to come. So that's what we're talking about today. God showing us, sometimes we talk about unmerited favor, and that certainly is to be uh, appreciated as well. I want to make a series of four or five observations or perspectives. And the first of those is that we've got to appreciate the abundant nature of God's grace in that the grace of our Lord isn't limited or measured in some small fraction or in some small way. And that brings us to Romans chapter 5 verse 20. We could spend all of our time just in the book of Romans, just in the first eight chapters of Romans as Carrie has done a nice job of, of taking us through Romans chapters 1 through 8 over the last number of weeks. But there in chapter 5, go back to verse 19 just to pick up the flavor of where Paul was going here. And he says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now, incidentally, this is a phrase or a verse that many in the religious world get wrong and make a misapplication or a misinterpretation of, saying, well, because Adam sinned, we are inheriting the sin of Adam. That's not what this is talking about. And if you want to go to our website, godsredeemed.org, you can see an entire Bible study on chapter 5 wherein uh, we talked about that concept just a few weeks ago. But he says here, by one man's obedience, 
And in my Bible, the, the word man is capitalized. Yours may be. If it's not, that doesn't mean yours is wrong and mine is right. But my editors of, of the Bible said it's a big M because we're talking about Jesus, the Savior, the Christ. Because of his obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, now this is verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You know, that would make a neat song, wouldn't it? Grace, grace, God's grace. And that's why we sang that song, to get us thinking about the incredible grace, favor, or pleasure of our God. Similarly, think about the context in which the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14. And there's a statement that he makes here that I had not noticed until I was studying 1 Timothy with uh, someone just a couple of weeks ago. And there in verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. This is 1 Timothy chapter 12, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, because he counted me faithful and he put me into the ministry or into service. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent or insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then notice verse 14, if you want to underline the word grace or put a star by it, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Remember that Paul is making this statement to a young preacher saying, I am the chief of sinners. If you go forward one more verse into verse 15, he says, I was a very bad man. I made a lot of bad choices. I made a lot of bad decisions. And I, and I hurt a lot of innocent people that did not deserve to be hurt. And he says, I regret that, paraphrasing every day of my life. But God's grace is abundant. And incidentally, this is a passage that I think you need to mark down or memorize or somewhere put into your brain catalog whenever you run across someone who says, I'm not good enough to be saved or I've done too much ugly stuff in order to be saved. If you knew my past, there's no way that you'd be talking to me about the Bible or inviting me to church because of all the sin in my life. Well, nonsense, because God's grace is abundant and his mercy is everlasting. And go back to Ephesians chapter one and chapter two, where we see the subject of grace talked about in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And in chapter one, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. If someone is rich, they have a lot of something. Are you rich in money? Are you, are you rich in, in, in some sort of financial way? Are you rich in another way? God says, Paul says, the Holy Spirit says, God is rich in his grace. He's got more than, than he knows what to do with kind of thing, right? He's just got a lot of grace. That's the grace of our God. That's the grace that you and I appreciate. Drop down to chapter two and verse seven. That in the ages to come, 
he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the God that we serve. We sometimes sing that song, Behold our God. This is pulling back the curtain saying, Behold our God who is abundant in grace. And there's a number of Psalms. We pointed out Psalm 84 in our scripture reading this morning, but I'll just point out a couple in the course of our study together today. But Psalm 111 verse 4 says, the Lord is gracious and the Lord is full of compassion. That's the God we serve. A gracious God who is taking pleasure and delight in showing us his favor and kindness in abundant and just overwhelming ways. That's the God that we serve. But there's a second perspective of grace that I wanted us to consider this morning, and that is our righteous lives do matter. Go back to Psalm 84, where our scripture reading was from, and I appreciate our brother Chris reading so well from Psalm 84, where it says, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold. And then if you want to underline in your, your Bibles, the very last part of verse 11, from those who walk uprightly. And so the application that I make and the reason that I pointed out Psalm 84 and the reason that it jumped off the pages as I've been thinking about this study for the last couple of weeks is because you and I have the responsibility of walking uprightly in order to be granted God's grace. Go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. You know what's going on in Genesis chapter 6. This is the first instance wherein grace is referenced in the Bible. Now, not the concept of grace, don't get me wrong there, but when it says that Noah found grace, it's one of those 25 occasions in the Old Testament where that word is utilized and put to use. And in Genesis chapter 6, in verse 6, the text there says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. That's probably one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of sad verses in the Bible that, that call us to say that's just pitiful. But the fact that it repented the Lord, the King James Version says. So the Lord says, I'm gonna destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But... That's an important word. Noah, that's an important word. Found grace, that's an important phrase. In the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah, verse 9. Because usually we stop reading at verse 8. But this is the genealogy of Noah. He was a just man. He was perfect in his generations. And then if you want to underline the final verb of verse 9, that might be worthwhile. It says that Noah walked with God. What was he doing? He was trying to be upright in the matter of Psalm 84, verse 11. There is, therefore, a connection between grace and walking with the Lord. And that goes back to Ephesians chapter five, where it says, walk circumspectly, walk in love, walk in the light. There's three different walks that are categorized in Ephesians chapter five by my account. And the idea of walking is the idea of progressing and moving forward. I say this, and this whole screen, 
This whole point, the second perspective on grace is the caveat to the concept of grace that we sometimes see talked about in the religious world that I'll reference at the very end of the sermon today. We are saved by grace. That grace, though, requires our righteous lives and examples and walking in an upright fashion. Let me suggest to you a third thing, and that is grace teaches and grace trains. It's like training wheels for us. It's like we're on that bike and you're only maybe three or four years old, or maybe for some of us, five, six, or seven, and we need the training wheels to keep from falling. And the grace trains us, makes it so that we're more confident, gets us to a place where we are better equipped to serve our God. And you, of course, know that that's where Paul goes when he talks to Titus in Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 14. There are probably three to five sermons just in those three or four verses that we're not going to explore today. But I do wanna read those verses in case you're not familiar with them and then make uh, three or four real quick observations. Sometimes I like to do this in in a sermon that's more topical like this and say, If I was going to do a full-fledged sermon or series of sermons, here are the major points that I would make regarding Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 14. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, that brings salvation, has appeared unto all men. That's important, all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and word of lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great Savior, and Jesus Christ, and our God, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So if I was gonna outline this text or say, I, I, wanna, I wanna draft out where I wanna go over the next couple of weeks in Titus chapter two, there's a couple of things that I would point out. One of those is that grace brings salvation. Grace brings salvation. Not my perfection, nor my complete obedience to God. And this is where we sometimes make that point, and rightly so, that nobody will stand before God on the day of judgment, whenever that happens, and he says, you know what? You have been so obedient. You have been so righteous You have been so faithful. I have to let you in to the glories of heaven. That'll never happen. And to the wisest person present today, I don't know who he or she is, uh, to the most faithful man or woman in this building, you are not good enough that God says, well, I'm just gonna let you in. It is grace that will transpire, that is abundant, that trains and teaches and perfects us. After all, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as we talked about just a few weeks ago as well. A second observation is this, and that is we are to actively seek righteousness and righteous ways. I didn't come up with that point. The Holy Spirit did so in Titus 2, verses 11, 12, and 13, and 14. And that we are to actively seek out opportunities to be righteous and to do what is right. 
Number three, without Christ and without his pleasure in our lives, we are hopeless. So let's put that another way. If I don't preach a sermon on grace from time to time, such as to remind ourselves of the importance of grace, and we do not reevaluate the importance of grace, and we do not count on grace, we are hopeless. Without grace, without him saying, it's my pleasure to welcome you in, we are hopeless. That's the point that I'm driving at today. Someone said, what's your thesis today? What's your, what's your point? Grace saves, and more about that at the conclusion of our study together. And then fourthly, we are to be different. We are to be transformed. We are to be special. You know the word special is a special word (laughs) for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes people describe you, sometimes people describe me as very special. And that's probably true in some ways. But we want God to look at us and say, you are a special person. You're a special individual because you're different from the world and because my grace has allowed that to transpire. Now, that doesn't mean that we can say, well, preacher said the grace is abundant. Righteous lives matter. Grace belongs to us that God provides us in an overflowing manner. Therefore, I can do whatever I want because that's not the case as well because of this fourth perspective, which is that grace and truth belong together. One cannot, with what I would call a straight face, say, I'm saved by grace, and therefore I don't need to know the truth, I don't need to study the truth, and I don't need to obey the truth. Now, there are people in the world that come very close to saying that with a straight face, and they believe it. More on that at the conclusion in just a couple of moments. But turn over, if you would, to three passages, one in John, one in Romans, and then we're going to go back to John purposely again. First of those is in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The gospel of John is powerful. You might say, well, what's not, in, what's not powerful in the Bible? What's well, all powerful. I, I grant you that. But the gospel of John is powerful. And it ought to be studied on a regular basis by all of us individually as Christians. But in John chapter 1 and verse 16, of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you want to underline both those words, grace, truth. Those two words matter. I can't say I'm saved by grace, I don't need the truth. I can't say I'm saved by the truth, I don't need grace. I need grace and I need truth. Going back to the previous points that we've made, our righteous lives do matter. And we've already looked at Romans chapter 5 verse 20, but drop down one more verse where it says, sin reigned in death, even so, this is Romans 5, 21, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the next paragraph, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. Now you see why the word grace is used 125 times in the New Testament where you have paragraphs like this where it's used three or four times almost back to back to back to back. 
And then another passage that I wanted us to uh, think about, and then we'll make a simple observation, is going back to the Gospel of John in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is a, is a great chapter for so many different reasons. Uh, a lot of times we only look at the first dozen verses or so because of the powerful example of the woman and what was taught by Jesus. But drop down to the last uh, half of the chapter, starting in about verse 31. He says that Jesus, John records, Jesus said to those Jews, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Then verse 32, by the way, there are certain verses, and those of you that are younger, you'll get to a point where every time you hear a verse, you think about a certain preacher reading it or a certain elder reading it. But verse 32, I, I can see Aud McKee jumping up and down, quoting verse 32, some of you who know of Aud or knew of Aud years ago. But you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, Jesus says. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? He says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. We talked about that in Romans chapter 6. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. We talked about that today in adoption. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What do all these verses have in common? Simply put, each of us has got the responsibility of obeying the truth so that God's grace might have a place in our lives. If we do not obey the truth, there will not be grace. If we do not do what the Lord wants, there will not be grace. Now, some would say, well, that means that you're telling me that I've got to be righteous to get to heaven. Well, you've got to be righteous to get to heaven. That's what I'm saying. But I'm not saying that. that's what the scriptures are saying. James 2, Ephesians 2, and a number of other passages all blend together to that. And I'll say more on that again at the very conclusion of our study. But that brings us to the fifth and the final perspective or observation, and that is we are to return grace to God. We often talk about God bless America, may God bless you, may God bless us, but it's time for us to bless our God. And it's high time for that. And it's always time for us to bless God and to give him grace. You say, well, what, what does he need grace for? He's never made a mistake. Well, remember what the definition is? Pleasure, favor, the idea of kindness, and the idea of delight. Do you delight in God? Yes, of course. Do you pleasure in God? Of course I do. So given the incredible grace uh, which God has showed us, we are to show grace to him in return. Turn over to Colossians chapter three and let's look at a passage here that is probably memorized by most individuals who are here. The moment you hear Colossians three sixteen, you can fill in the blanks where it says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, that's a hard verse to read without singing, by the way. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A lot can be said about Colossians 3, 16 and 17. But let me suggest to you as I put on the screen that there's more to this passage than merely providing us authority for how we worship. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I will go to Colossians 3.16 every time I have a discussion with someone on the subject of instrumental music. Why do you not use instrumental music? I'm going to go to Ephesians 5. I'm going to go to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to go to the book of Galatians. And I'm certainly going to go to Colossians chapter 3 at some point. And I, and, and I should. You should too. But Colossians 3.16 was not inserted into the text simply so that we have that as a tool. I think that's part of it. I'm not trying to get into the mind of the Holy Spirit, though. I think there's more to it than just that. Remember the definition of grace, where he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spirit songs, which we've done together today, singing with pleasure or with delight or with favor or with kindness to whom? To the Lord. We are singing to the Lord and saying, I am so gracious to you. I'm grateful for you. You are kind to me. And that very last thing, it's our pleasure to praise our great God because of his great pleasure. I remember probably 10 years ago, there was a man uh, who was a very nice man who came from a very strong denominational background. And I remember Eddie asking me the question. He said, Leland, how are we saved? And I already knew where he was going based on the conversation, and I kind of hesitated to come up with the best answer possible. He says, by grace and nothing else. And I knew where he was going. He was coming from a background that was steeped in Calvinism and steeped in denominational thinking, which is incorrect, that there's nothing I need to do in order to be saved. I think we have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's not true based on the passages we've looked at. And we haven't even looked at James chapter 2 or Ephesians chapter 2 in more detail. In fact, James 2 famously says that faith without works, without obedience, without a, uh, a, an adherence to the truth, which Jesus says goes hand in hand, John 1, 16 and 17, is dead, is useless, is void. These are things that we appreciate. But I do appreciate the other side of the argument, and that is this, and please in our final 60 to 90 seconds together in 2022, don't misquote me or get me wrong. But I do think this. I think because of denominational claims regarding grace alone saves, that we are sometimes collectively or individually afraid to talk about grace and its powerful way in saving us. I think because they talk about it so much by grace we're saved, by grace we're saved, by grace we're saved. You know what? I'm going to say it. By grace we are saved. Now, if that's the only part of the sermon you latch on and you didn't listen to the, the other 25 or 30 minutes and the other slides, you missed the point. And you've missed the biblical point. But without grace, God's great gift of grace, we are hopeless. Now, that's the point that I've been trying to make. Someone said, why didn't you just say at the beginning and then end? <laughs> well, because I had to get to that point. But now we've gotten to the point. You need God's grace. And without it, you're hopeless. 
But we are calling you this morning, if you are not a child of God, to say, I want that grace. Is there anything that I need to be doing? I'm sure glad you asked because the scriptures talk about it. And we've talked about it over the course of our time together today over God's great gift of grace. And if you are here and you're saying, I, 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 wanna, I, wanna, I wanna participate in that, I wanna receive that, you need to be baptized to have your sins washed away. You need to have that confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You need to do those things that are outlined. And maybe you've never heard those things outlined. You never heard about God's plan of salvation. You never heard about the redemptive uh, plan that he has for you and for me. And you want to study some more. There's no better way to end 2022 or begin 2023 than studying these very important eternal life and death issues. And we'd be happy to help you. If you're ready to be baptized, to confess Jesus, having repented of your sins, we'll baptize you this very morning. I was thinking about this as I was driving by frozen ponds and, and creeks. You'll be fine. It's heated. So you don't have to worry about that either. In all seriousness, though, we are blessed. And we are blessed with an opportunity to do what the Lord has asked us to do. If you're a Christian and you're not living as correctly as you should, you need to make things right. What a great way to end the year by saying, I want to rededicate myself to the Lord. And if we can help you in that, we'd love the opportunity while we stand and while we sing.